what a week, Ben. The Raptors, one and three, but four crazy games. Let's let's start this off by talking about the Martin Luther King Day. I think this game was played at like 2 p.m. or something crazy because it's a stat holiday in the States. This game, overtime, a 123 to 121 win for the Raptors. Just doesn't doesn't say how crazy this game was. There were so many ludicrous plays. Where do you want to start here? Yeah, this one feels like a distant memory at this point, but it was it was just on Monday and I don't know. It was so back and forth. Just the overtime, the like missed shot at the end, Jalen Brunson, wide open three at the end of the game. Could have just sealed yeah. it for the Knicks. Could have could have gotten us to a perfect 0-4 week. We're both on the tank wagon. I was rooting <laughs> for a loss here. I won't lie. It, it was fun to see the Raptors win, especially as like a nationally televised game in the States. But I really wanted that loss. Me too. And at the end of regulation, I think they, they were tied and Fred Van Vliet intentionally fouled Jalen Brunson. Inexplicably, obviously didn't know the score or the situation, whatnot. The Raptors got away with that. Um, Scotty Barnes had a bunch of offensive rebounds at the end to, to pull the Raptors back after that that terrible mistake. But then Scotty Barnes gives up a blow-by dunk to R.J. Barrett to tie it with like 0.5 seconds left in, in regulation, which was also crazy. Off of a free throw. Like, yeah. R.J. Barrett took it coast to coast. It, this game was so bizarre. It felt like the Raptors were playing well, but then just trying to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. It's like they'd do make a great play, and then on the other end, they'd make the most head-scratching, bizarre play to give points back, and we're just trying to find new ways to lose. <laughs> yeah, this is the, the 2023 Raptors experience here. Is Gone are the days of good clutch performances and heady, consistent play, and now it's the cardiac kids, how are they going to screw this up? What mistakes are they going to make? And that, that's going to be a theme this week in their crunch times. Yeah, I will say, though, really solid game from Freddie. Not the most efficient, but he was definitely the Raptors' best player in this one. Finished with 33 points, five threes, like just hitting big time shots for them. I thought this was really boosting his trade value. He's had a bit of a resurgence recently. The shot's been falling. And, you know, I like what I'm seeing. We're hopefully going to get at least a pick for him. (laughs) (laughs) This game overall was just a a rock fight. This was like 90s playoff basketball. Both teams were playing super physical and not a lot of skill or shot making going on there. The Raptors shot under 40% from the field. That's actually not too weird for the Raptors. But the Knicks only shot 42% from the field. Just a lot of... A lot of banging going on. The Knicks got 20 offensive rebounds. The Raptors got 14. It's just a scrappy, scrappy physical game without a ton of skill or shot making being displayed. Yeah. I think the Knicks and Raptors are two of the best, worst teams in the leagues, if that makes sense. Like their offensive talent is very mediocre for the level of team that they're aspiring to be. And I think like the Raptors are crumbling now, but the Knicks are this playoff team, but their offense does not look pretty. It's very Raptors-esque. Yeah, yeah. Like, their their best plays is probably just Jalen Brunson isos, but that's pretty stoppable because they don't have great spacing around him. But, yeah. yeah he, he loves pick and rolling, and, like, him and Julius Randle is, like, a somewhat potent pick and roll combo, but it doesn't always lead to the most efficient shots. Like, Jalen Brunson loves the mid-range game. Julius yeah. Randle loves chucking from anywhere. And, you know, there's lots of nights where that... It's not great. 
Yeah. It, it did feel good to get a win, but like you, I was extremely conflicted as in like, <laughs> it would have been nice to lose this game, but the Raptors didn't have to worry about that for the rest of the week. Cause they went Oh, and three from that point. Uh, the next game, was against the Milwaukee Bucks, who were playing without Giannis and without Chris Middleton. And they lost this one 130 to 122. How do they do that? How do you lose to a Giannis-less Bucks team? Well, I'll tell you how. Shooting differentials. The Bucks shot 49% from three-point land on 39 attempts. So 19 threes in this game. Drew Holiday was unconscious. He had 37 points. I feel like that was a season high for him. He was popping off. He's had some other big games this season, but yeah, he was he was the best player on the floor of this game. Yeah, he, he was dominating. Like He just saw everyone else out of the line. He's like, okay, I need to have a big game. We're going to have a chance to win. And he played aggressively. And you don't see that too often from him. Like, yeah, he has games here and there where he does it. But a lot of the time, he's taking a back seat. And this game, he really showed off how good he can be when he is fully locked in on offense. And just like the Bucks, the rest of their team, just everyone hit threes. Like you go through the lineup, Grayson Allen, four threes, Pat Connaughton, three threes, Brooke Lopez, three threes, Joe Ingles, two threes, Jordan Anwara and George Hill both hit threes as well. This is, this week really made me realize like the Raptors just, they desperately need shooting. They're playing such an archaic offense it's like threes are such a big part of good offense now. And the Raptors just have, they have like three people in their whole, on their whole roster that can hit threes. And every other team in the league has six or seven, maybe eight guys that can all hit threes. And the Raptors just have so few options in that regard. And so <laughs> it just feels like we're playing with one hand tied behind our back a lot of the time. And a lot of that's roster construction. It's not really anyone's individual faults. It's more the front office's idea and like hoping that they can just develop players and teach them how to shoot. Like a lot of these athletic guys that they have, they're just, they haven't figured out how to shoot yet. And that development hasn't really worked. Yeah, you're absolutely right there. I want to highlight Joe Ingles' performance on the Bucks. You know, only he went four or five from the field. He got 15 points, you know, five free throws as well. Eight assists. He, he did a masterful job running pick and rolls, picking apart the Raptors defense. I think a lot of people, myself included, were like, oh, why'd they pay Joe Ingles so much in the offseason? They basically used up their entire offseason to sign Joe Ingles, who's coming off of an ACL tear. He's old, he's slow, can you play defense? It, maybe the defense just gets covered up by having Brooke Lopez and Giannis behind you, and he can just be a, an offensive creator and spacer that they that they need and just having more and more of these guys that are good passers and good shooters and, and can pick apart defenses just makes the offense smoother which they which they absolutely need and he was great this game probably his best game of the season yeah yeah and on the raptor side offensively i thought they played a pretty good game but they just could not defend the barrage of three-pointers that the bucks had and like and some of that I think like if they played this Bucks team ten times with without Giannis without Chris Middleton, I thinking I think they're winning this game more often than not. I like this felt a little bit lucky from the Bucks, some unsustainably hot shooting from some of their guys. Absolutely, yeah. But like on the Raptors side, you know, if you look at the stats, like Fred Van Vliet, thirty nine points, Gary Trent, twenty eight points, both of them shot really efficiently. I love to see these performances because again, it's like these guys are the guys that we're going to be 
moving at the trade deadline. I think the writing is on the wall <laughs> at this point, right? Like this team is getting blown up. There's there's just no way they don't make trades here. And so I think you're really happy seeing these big offensive performances from guys that you, you're going to move on from. Yeah, if, if they do indeed go in that direction, which remains to be seen. But the Raptors are now 20 and 27 after this week, uh, 12th in the East. You know, a sixth worth record in the league, right? And so, certainly trending in that direction. Uh, but let's let's move on to the next game here. The Raptors lost the Minnesota Timberwolves, one twenty eight to one twenty six. And again, like the Bucks, the Timberwolves are without a bunch of their best players. Anthony Edwards, I think, is probably their best player at this point. But they're without Gobert, who has, I think, a groin injury, and Cat, who's still recovering from his calf injury. So they're missing two of their three best players and all their big guys. And yet the Raptors still cannot find a way to win against a deeply flawed and uh, injured team. This loss was pretty embarrassing because not only were Gobert and Cat out, but they were coming. This was the second game of a back-to-back where the Timberwolves had just played against Denver the night before at 10 p.m. coming back to play the Raptors at 8 p.m. the next day and somehow <laughs> and the Raptors were up the whole game as well let's like like the Raptors were winning this game controlling the game playing playing pretty well but then once again shooting differentials Minnesota shot 42 percent from three D'Angelo Russell got super hot in the second half just could not miss three pointers like they they contained Anthony Edwards. They did a pretty good job against him. They did. He only yeah. shot five of sixteen in this game, but just down the stretch, the Raptors they scored seventeen points in the fourth quarter. Their late game execution was pretty atrocious. Lots of turnovers. Just they like they were up fourteen points with seven minutes left, and just just fell apart and gave the game away. It was. It was a, I was cackling. I was like joyfully happy. I was like, oh, there's no way they're losing this game. They can't possibly blow this. And when they did, I was like, ah, oh, this is going to be so big come lottery odds at the end of the season. Yes. Yeah. Count, these count losses these losses. Are magical. Yeah. <laughs> these are Rejoice like in the losses. Yeah. But the, the Raptors, if you, you talk about shooting difference, I mean, I think that the shooting difference was the number of threes they attempted because the Raptors hit 50% on their threes. They made 14 of 28, which is, that's obviously unsustainably good for this team. Uh, but it's still, still find a way to lose. And you're absolutely right. It was just the, the offense completely collapsed and disappeared. One thing I want to highlight, Anthony Edwards didn't have an amazing game on offense. Down the stretch in the fourth quarter, he completely took Siakam out of the game. Siakam couldn't even dribble when Anthony Edwards was guarding him the difference in physicality and athleticism between the two was just so stark. And Siakam had no chance to even dribble past Anthony Edwards, which is his game. And I mean, we've seen Siakam, I think, been be slumping pretty terribly these last few weeks. And that's a big reason why they're losing a lot of these close games because we're starting to see the guards play better just as Siakam starts fading. And to be honest, I think he looks kind of tired. He's been having such a huge load. He's been playing such heavy minutes with the ball in his hands, which is just way more tiring than standing in the corner. And yeah, it's all, nothing is firing for these Raptors when they need to. And that's just sort of how the season has gone. Yeah. And I think even though Siakam's shooting numbers have dipped, I still feel like he's been a pretty good playmaker 
I like this game. He yeah, had nine assists. We like, still, still the all around still game. An a. It's yeah. just that he's not he's not at that all NBA all star level that he was before. This is more like I, we're seeing Siakam in a slump, but he, he's still yeah. he's still their best player. I don't don't get me wrong, but it's just he's not at the at the level he was before. Yeah, yeah, and let's go back to Anthony Edwards here for a second because I think this is. This season, he hasn't taken the leap that I think a lot of people were hoping for. A lot of people had him pegged as a lock for an all-star this season and yeah. just going to like start cementing his that. case as one of the top players in the league. But this defensive potential from him, when he's locked in on the defensive end, this is part of why people are so high on him. Because with his athletic tools, he can clamp down on anybody in the league. And yeah, we saw that with Siakam, who's a great offensive player. Anthony Edwards, like he plays shooting guard most of the time. He can go against a bigger guy like Siakam and he has the strength and agility to totally lock him down. It's like, these are, this is really promising, but he doesn't do this all the time. Right. No, I think the Timberwolves it, it, within a, a game, bit of a mess. Like, yeah. It's very much like fourth quarter. Okay. It's winning time. I'm going to start trying on defense. You can't, it's hard as a star player to put that kind of effort in all, all 48 minutes and, I don't think yeah. it'd be reasonable to even ask him to do that. You'd probably be suffering too much on the offensive end. But you're absolutely right. Like that's one of the things that we saw in the playoffs last year with the Timberwolves is Anthony Edwards come playoff time can guard people really well. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Ben. Last game of the week. Last night, Saturday night, the Raptors lost to the Boston Celtics 106-104. The Celtics rested Tatum in this game. Just such a sign of, you know, the Raptors have had this last year as well before they start, got off on a tear where, you know, like the Warriors just didn't bring anyone to Toronto and teams would just rest their best players against the Raptors. Clearly teams do not feel threatened by this team and they think that they can beat the Raptors without their best players or resting people that are a little bit banged up or just, you know, they've played a lot of games recently and they're right. Teams can beat the Raptors without their best players. But one thing we're going to do later is go through, see how many wins the Raptors have that are like quality wins where they beat good teams. It's not a lot. But let's get back to this game. The Celtics won 106-104. Marcus Smart got hurt uh, and didn't come back as well as Robert Williams. So we're, we're, we're seeing the Celtics without three of their starters in the second half. And they still managed to to beat this Raptors team. How did they do it? How did, how did the Raptors manage to lose this this deeply injured Celtics team? Ugh, this was another one where just like crazy shit was happening down the stretch of the game. I mean, first off, the Celtics are a very deep team. This is the best team in the league. So even without Jason Tatum, even without Marcus Smart and Robert Williams. They're bringing Malcolm Brogdon and Grant Williams off the bench, who are two of the best bench players in the league. Peyton Pritchard as well is a guy that doesn't really get any minutes for them. He was drafted like, a couple. Yeah, it's like if Malachi Flynn was good. That's, that's yeah, what I described. A couple Peyton spots as. Yeah. ahead of Malachi Flynn. Very similar size for guards, but Peyton Pritchard is great. He hit. He was four of seven. Great from is three strong, game. but yeah, he's not afraid to chuck. He knows his role and he's good at it. Yeah. But he's also a lot stronger than Malachi Flynn. So defensively, he's not a pushover. I think like Malachi Flynn, he was a great defender in college, but just against the physicality of 
stronger NBA players, he can't match up. He, his frame is too small. And Peyton Pritchard has been in the weight room since he got into the NBA and has bulked up. And he can hold his own. He's not a, an amazing defender, but he's good. And it's just like having guys that can come off the bench and just hit four threes out of nowhere. I mean, the Raptors, we didn't give a shout out to Joe Wisecamp, but he had a really solid performance against the Timberwolves. He came off the bench did, for the Raptors. Did. He was a 10-day guy that they signed and he was like a huge spark off the bench. And it's like, this guy should absolutely be playing minutes over Malachi Flynn. (laughs) Yeah. He'll actually take threes when he needs to and and make them. Um, Yeah. Mind you, he did have some alarmingly unathletic plays. (laughs) Like he got blocked on a, like a one versus zero fast break. Yeah. The ball over. Just getting stripped going to the rim. (laughs) Yeah. There's, There's a reason he's a 10 day guy, but just as a shooter, he can do it. Yeah. Yeah, but back to the Celtics game. Like it was they played they played really well for the guys that they had on the floor, but the so at the end of the game, let's talk about the call where Nick Nurse called a timeout when the Raptors Grant Williams was down on the court hurt and the Raptors had a 5 on 4 and there was like 30 seconds, 20 seconds left something like that. Nick Nurse calls a timeout. And that felt like a really bad coaching moment right there where he didn't recognize the situation in the game. The Raptors probably could have gotten a great look taking advantage of yeah. the person and on the Celtics yeah. injured. They, they turned the Celtics over at half court and had a five on four. And yeah. in, these, in these scramble situations, it's almost always big advantage to offense. Uh, yeah, taking a timeout there was... I thought a bad move and I'm sure if you were to like redo the situation, he would, he would want to do that differently. Yeah. And then on the follow-up play, Siakam gets tied up with Al Horford at the rim. They call a jump ball. The replay shows that Al Horford just swiped down on the ball, like knocked it out and then Siakam grabbed it again, but they called the jump ball on that play when it's like, that's, that's clearly the wrong call, but you understand how they make that call in this situation. It's tough, but then Nick nurse wanted to challenge it. The ref on the sidelines beside him said, okay, you can you can challenge this, like take your time out, takes his time out. Ed Malloy, the other ref on the other side of the court, comes over, says, you actually can't challenge a jump ball. And then Nick Nurse is like, okay, I don't want to take my time out then. And they're like, no, you still have to take your time out. And so then they didn't have a timeout for the last play of the game. And that that is a bad refing moment like one yeah. ref tells yeah. you you can challenge this and then another ref says you can't and then you still you're forced to lose your timeout because a ref had told you you can challenge it like that is that's just bad refing they should it is, have given it is but also back. like it is bad refing but also like nick nurse should know you can't challenge that right sure he, like, he like, should but when but the ref should know that he can't challenge yeah, abso- that as absolutely, well and say, absolutely this happens right. a lot where a coach comes up and is like oh can i challenge this and they're like no you can't and so then right, they, but, like, and yeah absolutely this is the ref's fault right but it's i think people are over overblowing how big of a deal this was it's like yes it ended up mattering and that the ref, the raptors couldn't advance the ball uh with because they didn't have a timeout but also like you know it was entirely preventable like you could have just not tried to challenge it because you knew that you could have not, you know, not blown the timeout on the situation where you had an advantage. You know, you could have just, Gary Trent could have just made the the wide open layup that he had. <laughs> there were so many other mistakes that went on. Sure. And it's yeah. easy to focus on the one that was more or less out of your control. 
as opposed to all the ones you could have done. So like, I don't, you know, yes, it's Absolutely. a bad mistake from the refs, but I don't think it made, I don't think it really impacted the game that much. No, it, it just, it was added to the bizarrety of the last couple minutes of that game. Yeah. Like it was just chaos going on and the refs were part of that chaos. Yes, yes, indeed. Yeah. But in Not the, the refs' greatest moment. It worked out for the Raptors in the long run because they managed to get a great loss here against an undermanned Celtics team. Yeah. This was a game, like the Raptors are playing, well, Fred was out for this game, but the Raptors have been very healthy for this stretch of games and are still managing to lose. And so you just have to like give a shout out to them for that because I think we were really worried about this stretch of basketball where... Especially you told me last week, Giannis is going to be out. Tatum is going to be out. You know, Gobert is going to be out. We knew we knew Cat was going to be out. But like all these star players are missing from the opponents and you still manage to lose? Oh, unreal. Yeah, because like this stretch before the trade deadline which is coming up in a couple weeks is super awkward because the Raptors are healthy. And with this roster and this talent, you'd think they'd be capable of playing at least 500 basketball, which would really hurt their lottery odds. Cause they're still on the cusp of like top bottom six, bottom five, potentially they are bottom six right now. Yeah. And, and they need to stay there, but it's like, I was really worried about them breaking out of that range. And yeah. these losses have been so clutch. So Good job, Raptors. Or should yeah, I say absolutely. Crafters? <laughs> this the Celtics team, we, we highlight their bench. Uh if I'm doing some quick mass here, but they scored, I think, sixty-five points as a unit, and the Raptors bench scored fourteen. Um, just to highlight the difference there. And another thing to go through the Raptors bench here against the Celtics, the the bench combined for about fifty minutes. Against the uh, against the Timberwolves, the Raptors bench again combined for about fifty minutes. Against the Bucks, the Raptors bench combined for less than forty eight minutes. And against the Knicks, the Raptors bench combined for again about forty eight minutes. So their starters are playing the vast majority. If you want to think about like okay, how many how many like how many player slots do you have in terms of how many minutes they're playing? They're basically playing their starters five-sixths of the minutes available in the game, which is just astonishing. And the load that's being put on them right now is is incredible, and I wouldn't be surprised if we start to... I mean, I think we're already seeing signs of fatigue, but players missing games here and then just because they've been playing so much in so many tight games where, you know, you have to, you have to try really hard down the stretch. Yeah, and, like, once again, like, Siakam is right at the top of the league in minutes per game. It's just, it's tough because I, I get why Nick Nurse doesn't want to play the bench. They've been bad. I think the only bright spot, and I guess he was he was a starter in the Celtics game, yeah. has been Precious Achua off the bench. He's been fantastic. That Celtics game... He, I was thought he was the best Raptor. Super, no, Siakam was the best Raptor. Come really? On, come on. Siakam, his defense, his, oh, Precious's defense was unreal that game. Precious was awesome, but Siakam also had a very, very effective game here. He was efficient, 14 of 23 from the field, 29 points, 10 assists, 9 rebounds. Six like, turnovers. Sure, and but a couple of those were at the end of the game. Like, yeah, it, it wasn't... Yeah, when they mattered. <laughs> it wasn't perfect, but he's doing way more on offense than Precious is. But the, the potential here from Precious is so tantalizing. He was... 
blowing by guys in transition, just taking the ball himself down the court yeah. and finishing strong. Had a couple really nice and one finishes that were like super impressive body control from him. Still, still missed a few easy bunnies. But, but also just like creating stuff, getting to the rim, collapsing the defense, just doing something on offense that the Raptors mm-hmm. so desperately need. Like Precious was was forcing things and making things happen. That's not going to work out all the time with him, but at least he's doing that, which no one else on this team was. Yeah, and defensively, they put him on Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown needed pick and rolls to get away from Precious because yeah. like Precious one-on-one was absolutely clamping him defensively awesome performance from precious he had two steals and two blocks but like he was all over the place defensively making big plays and stopping the celtics just like scotty and precious together very intriguing prospects for the raptors like i know you've been hating on scotty and we don't need to get into all that again but I, I love these two guys here and these are the two players that i really want to see the raptors focus on once they inevitably trade everyone else yes uh, you say it's inevitable i th- i think it's it's inevitable from our perspective i i think it's much less inevitable in terms of like what their what the actual prospects are i would be shocked if they traded more than two out of the four sort of vet starters i would be shocked i would love for it to happen i think we've we've laid out our arguments for why it needs to but i'd be shocked if if everyone actually gets traded but ben this upcoming schedule here we have the knicks tonight at the second end of a back-to-back uh hopefully they'll be out for revenge from that mlk day loss and they might uh, smack the raptors around we can hope then the the west coast road trip starts read me these games because they come thick and fast once they start playing out there and it's not an easy slate no definitely not so we get a little bit of a break after the sunday night game against the knicks we're back on the road on wednesday night so a few days off there but then it's wednesday sacramento at 10 p.m friday at golden state at 10 p.m saturday at portland at 10 p.m that's a back-to-back right there and then one day break and then we're in phoenix on monday night at 9 p.m. and then Utah on the Wednesday and then Houston on the Friday and then Memphis on the Sunday. So basically like just one day off between all those games. Only one team there, Houston, is really bad. And But the, the, the Raptors sometimes, like they magically lose to Houston. Anything's possible yeah, yeah. there. I, can't, I wouldn't rule out a loss. And Houston, I wouldn't rule out Houston having a different coach at that point and maybe having this sort of honeymoon effect of... of sort of resetting their mental. Yeah, Steven Silas is absolutely on the hot seat in Houston. They've been a bit of a mess, but notably in a row. recently they've started running more of their offense through Alperin Shengun, one of their first round picks from a year ago. And he's been hooping. He's been playing well. They don't like their guards have been absolutely terrible at running the offense. And so they're, they're going with the Jokic style of offense. He's obviously not at that level, not even close. But it'll be interesting to see how the Raptors match up there because Houston has a lot of tools. They just don't always know how to use them properly. Absolutely. Yeah. But, but yeah, uh, a murderer's row of games. Be, yeah, they'll probably be underdogs for most of it. You know, the Phoenix Suns are, are absolutely awful without Devin Booker. He might be back but at this point. 
we can only hope that he will be. Um, so yeah, this, this upcoming two week stretch, I think the, the trade deadline is on February 9th and the end of this two, uh, two week stretch is February the 5th. So these next two weeks, if the Raptors haven't already decided what they're going to do, these will, I think, must have a huge impact on what on what direction they're going. And this week, I think, was kind of pivotal because going one and three and losing to these teams in the fashion that they did with the players that they were missing. Like, if you're Masai and Bobby Webster, I don't know how you don't see it at this point. You know, they may have already decided to trade these guys, and they're just waiting to the trade deadline to get the most value. That's entirely possible, but you got to think that they're seeing the signs right now. Yeah, and like let's we haven't really talked about where the Raptors are in the standings. They're twelfth right now in the East, but like if they didn't blow it up, they're still two games back of the ten seed, which is the Chicago Bulls. But to get to that sixth seed and get out of the play-in, because you don't really want to be a play-in team. Good. Yeah, you got to be well above 500 to, to make the out of the play-in. They're five games back of the Miami Heat, who are 25 and 22. And like, let's be frank, they're not going to catch the Heat, the Cavs, Brooklyn, Bucks, 76 or Celtics. No, Those are all no. the teams in the top six. The Raptors, there's no way they're getting out above the play-in. And so... If you're in the play-in, A, you have to win those playing games to even get to the playoffs, but then you're going to be facing the Celtics or the Bucks or the Sixers in the first round, and you're going to get absolutely annihilated. And so there's just no spark here that indicates that the Raptors should try at all for the rest of the season. Agreed. And, you know, like the, the coaching staff has been, you know, <laughs> we talked about the minutes for the starters. They're doing that because they're trying their damnedest to win every single fucking game and they can't, right? They're going against teams that aren't trying to win every single game and they can't. There's just, there's no indication that this team has anything mm-hmm. to to make you hopeful or optimistic that they could improve or get better. It's, it's just not happening. Uh, so we got to hope that Masai and Bobby see it because we we've been seeing it all season. Well, maybe not all season, but the last, the last two or three months for sure. Yeah. There's been stretches of good play, but the defense is completely broken. Like just the point of attack defense is so bad. And that is completely broken the scheme where they want to help and run around. It's just so easy for teams to break through that scramble now because they can just get to the rim at will and Precious is our only quality rim defender that isn't a total zero elsewhere on the floor. Coloco. <clears throat> Coloco got sent to the G League this week, which I think is absolutely the right move. With Precious back, he's so redundant and he's just not nearly as good as Precious. So Yeah. Yeah. And you want you want Coloco to get reps. They did this with Delano Banton as well when he was stapled to the bench. It's like, okay, go down to the G League, get some reps there. Hopefully, like you can figure some things out, keep working on the shot. Coloco's going to get way more of an opportunity to practice some things on offense as well, which he'll never get with the Raptors until he's actually decent at them. And so it, it's it's a good development move. I know there's people that are frustrated that Coloco isn't getting more minutes with the Raptors, but like with Precious, like you said, it's just it doesn't make any sense and, to be playing. And this Coloco. team is not developing. They're trying their best to win every fucking game. Right. So, you know, you don't have the opportunity to let guys play through mistakes. That's why the bench has got so few minutes is because they just make too many mistakes and the Raptors aren't interested in playing through those. So, yeah. And I, and I think in, in the long term, post trade deadline, if the Raptors do make trades, then 
If oh, yeah. Bullock Bullock still not get getting 25 minutes. minutes a game, assuming he can stay on the floor and not foul yeah. out in those minutes. But yeah. Yeah. But until then, doesn't make any sense. All right, Ben. Further evidence for the Raptors blowing it up here. I want to go through in the last couple months, how many quality wins does this Raptors team have? Quality is a subjective term here. <laughs> I'm going to define okay. it as beating a good team. The Knicks don't count. And, and. Oh, really? The Knicks? The Knicks are good. They're they're okay. Yeah, they're feisty. They're, I think they're average. Like they're, they're above 500, but they could easily be below 500 as well. If things broke a little bit, a little bit differently from them. I think, especially as far as talent goes, they're pretty mediocre. So I'm not going to call the Knicks a good team. They're a paper tiger. I would love to play them in the playoffs. Uh, it's obviously sure. not going to happen, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I'm the Knicks are not a good win. Like the Blazers are another like 500 team. I don't consider beating them a good win. I would say, you know, beating the Cavs is a good win. Like beating the, Sixers <laughs> the Blazers are, are actually 12th in the West. Now they've been slumping hard. Yeah. yeah pretty mediocre. Uh, yeah. You know, beating, you know, like the Nets would be a good win. You know, the, the Warriors, I would, call that a good one even though they haven't been great but you know the grizzlies the the pelicans you know teams teams that are doing really well in our regular season win machines those are i would call those good good wins yeah. okay so the raptors last win knicks we talked about that this week i don't consider the knicks a good win the trailblazers you know they're struggling uh, they beat the phoenix suns oh last season's you know, Western Western Conference leaders in the regular season, most wins in the regular season. They're without Devin Booker and Cam Johnson. Not a good team. They're they are sliding right now. Uh, then they beat the Cavs. I would call that a good win. Then, yeah. you know, then we talk about the Knicks. Then they lost six in a row. They beat the Lakers without LeBron. <laughs> then they beat the Magic, who, you know, they've been one of the worst teams in the league this year. Then, then they beat the Cavs again. You know, so... That, that is a month ago, and the only team that they've beaten in that, those only qual- the quality wins there have only been against the Cavs. Then you have to go back basically all the way to near the beginning of the season where they beat the Philadelphia 76ers in a win. That, that would be like the last like quality win that they've had. And they've beaten the Cavs three times this season. Outside of those Cavs games, there's been basically very little reason to believe that this team can compete against good teams. And it's like, yeah, they match up well against the Cavs. Okay, so they have what, like two or three quality wins for the against the rest of the season in, in like forty five other games, right? It's just this this team does not have it, and most of their wins have come against teams that are either hurt or tanking. Yeah, and we even lose to the tanking teams sometimes. Yeah, and absolutely. You're totally right. I think this is great evidence that. This team just it does not have the spark this year. Last year, you looked at them and like, oh, talent-wise, this team's not great, but they found ways to win. This this season, it's the total opposite. They're finding ways to lose. Every game, something different happens, but they're just making execution mistakes. They're missing shots. They're turning the ball over in crunch time. It's just, there's just some magic, some essence that's evaporated from this team. The losses have been piling up. The chemistry is not quite there. Something's off. I don't. It's hard to pinpoint exactly what it is, but 
it's just it's not working like it doesn't seem like an effort problem it's just like an identity problem the rest of the league is better the rest of the league has figured out how to play against the raptors i don't know it's just this it's over this era of the raptors is over yeah yeah this sort of this championship where they won the championship and sort of had this way of playing, you know, the Nick Nurse era, even before that, you know, with DeMar and Kyle and and whatnot, like, you know, these eras have kind of all blended together, but I would say this era of Raptors success is, is well and truly over at this point, which is sad, but you know, they won a championship and it's hard for a team that's not, you know, in a major market without a sort of a, a true blue homegrown superstar to maintain that, you know, they, they've slowly been eroding, you know, ever since they won and, you know, losing talent for nothing and, you know, paying guys, you know, quality contracts or like, maybe not quality, fair contracts, right? They're not getting bargains anymore. You know, they're not finding guys in the draft like they used to. The the development is kind of stalled, right? It's all kind of just eroding a bit. Yeah. And, and none of their free agency pickups or trades have really worked. Like the Thaddeus Young trade. no. I would say hasn't really paid off. He's been okay for them, but has not been good enough to be a consistent rotation player. Not a difference maker. Otto Porter Jr. this summer. Like it seems a bit unlucky that he just has been out pretty much the whole year. I think he played eight games for them and is done for the rest of the season now. And so it's like, okay, it's he has a huge injury history. I think last year with the Warriors was one of his only relatively healthy seasons in recent memory. And so you, you know, it's you probably should have expected some of this, or at least the chance that this would happen. And yeah, none of their developments worked out. It's just there's been too much of a talent drain. The rest of the league keeps getting better, and the Raptors just have don't play modern basketball anymore, which is unfortunate. But, you know, it is what it is. It's time to tank for Wemby. Yeah, Which... not, not only tanking for Wemby, but also trading players to tank for Wemby. Yes. Ben, I know you have been particularly active in the ESPN trade machine. What are your some of your favorite moves? And the guys we're trying to trade here, we're not trying to trade Scotty Barnes. We're not trying to trade Precious, Precious Chua. We're not trying to trade, you know, Chris Boucher or Thaddeus Young or anyone on the bench because they have no value. They they might be included as salary filler. I would say some of them are even quite likely to be traded just because of, of being a salary filler. But they're not who's being traded for. The guys who we are trying to trade here are Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Vliet, Gary Trent Jr., and OG Ananobi. Absolutely. Let's start at the yeah. top here. Pascal. Yeah, so when I was playing around in the trade machine this week, Pascal is actually kind of tough to trade. Not because he's not a great player and lots of teams don't want him. It's just his salary, that $35 million, if you're not trying to get back a really good player, which most players, there's not too many terrible contracts around in the league where you can just take on dead weight, especially with contenders, most contenders they're managing their cap well and all their highest played players are actually good. And so they don't want to trade those players. And so finding trades that make sense for Siakam to a team that is, has championship aspirations where he's really going to put them over the top a little bit difficult. I think one of the primary teams that possibly wants to go after Siakam would be the Phoenix Suns. They need to get Devin Booker some help. They've been a contender for the past few years. And I don't think they want are willing to take that step back 
with Chris Paul being absolutely useless now, totally washed up. It's time for them to get Devin Booker, another guy that can generate some offense. And Pascal Siakam could totally be that guy for them. And DeAndre Ayton, been pretty lackluster for the Phoenix Suns. Indeed, yeah. He just signed a big contract extension, but by all accounts, doesn't want to be there. Yeah, they forced him into restricted free agency, and yes, they instantly matched, right? But they they didn't offer him that contract. The Indiana Pacers did, right? Yeah, yeah. And, And so I think the relationship there is not great. So the Phoenix Suns also, they are now being bought by Matt Ishbia, who is like a, this, you know, a billionaire who we've seen with every new owner that enters the league. They immediately try to make a splash to improve their team, you know, try to try to win. Right. I don't think he's buying the Suns with the intention of just having Chris Paul continue to age and this team be mediocre. Right. I think they're buying the team with the idea to compete in the playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. There's still some complications with the Suns because Sarver is still their owner till the end of the season, and he might have veto rights on trades, and he might try and muck it up. But but you have to imagine that if the if the new owner is saying I'm going to cover any increased salary costs or whatever like that, that they can make it work. Yeah, you would certainly hope so. And so here's the trade proposal for the Raptors trading Pascal Siakam to the Phoenix Suns. They get back DeAndre Ayton, a center with potential. That hasn't been totally fulfilled. I'm I'm a little eh on him as a prospect, but you know there's potential there, and the Raptors desperately need a center. And then they also get back Cam Johnson, a promising wing scorer. And then I threw in two first-round picks here because I think with DeAndre Ayton getting paid a max salary, his value isn't. It's pretty neutral. I, like I don't think you're excited about paying DeAndre Ayton thirty million dollars a year for Absolutely. the next four years. Yeah. So it's like Siakam is a really valuable asset here. And so I think two first round picks, Cam Johnson, who's a promising young player and DeAndre Ayton, it seems pretty fair to me. Do you think that's a reasonable trade? Uh, I, I like the DeAndre Ayton part. I think it's more realistic. They Cameron Cam Johnson is like a key player for this team. And so I don't think they'd want to be trading him. I think you're more likely to include Jay Crowder in this deal. And maybe the Raptors would reroute him. And then because I think Jay Crowder makes like 10 million a year, the Raptors might have to include some one of their bench players, you know, maybe Boucher. Some or other Crowder, salary like, filler. Yeah, some kind of sure. salary filler going back. Um, I but think, then we would probably think, want an extra pick, right? I don't know. Like, just don't two know. first round picks for Siakam seems too low. You're, you are getting back DeAndre Ayton. And one of the benefits of getting off of Pascal Siakam is he only has two years left on his deal. And you're talking about extending him into his 30s on a guy who's been inconsistent in terms of his level. He's gone from, you know, playing at an all-star level to being way below that. And I don't think, I, I think Siakam's value is a little overstated through the league. Yes, he's a really good player, but he's also entering the decline phase of his career. And max players... This is Siakam's best season. How is he entering yes. the decline phase? Just in terms of his age, the aging curve, right? And his game, I don't think it's going to age particularly well. He's not this incredibly high skill guy. Yes, he's a skilled player, right? But he's not a great shooter. He relies a lot on his athleticism to get to the rim and to get by guys. And it's like, you know, if he starts, if he gets a little bit slower, you can see him quickly turning into just a role player. So, you know, th- 
I wouldn't be excited about extending Pascal Siakam. And I don't know that many teams that would be. I mean, the Suns could definitely talk themselves into him being a better bet than Aiton. But I think two first-round picks and and ones that are soon. So the Suns, while they still have Devin Booker, are going to be competing. I think that sounds about right in terms of the price for Siak. And you're getting back an okay prospect in DeAndre Ayton, who's, yeah, he's overpaid. And then you get some first-round picks, and maybe, you know, maybe if the Suns get hurt or if chemistry issues blow it up, they might have some upside. I would certainly be excited about having the 2025 first round unprotected pick from the Suns because new owner syndrome can kick in and these teams can fail quite hard, quite fast. Like we're seeing with, you know, the Timberwolves, the Nets of, of old and, and whatnot. So I think, mm. I think that that's a, it's a fair deal. All right. I'm not sure if the Raptors do that. It doesn't feel like quite enough of a haul for a player of Siakam's caliber, but you know, we'll, we'll have to see. I think it's in the, whether it's like one more pick or not, you know, that's, you know, up for negotiation. It's some We're on the deal with that kind of yeah. structure. Yeah. One, yeah. one reason for the Suns to sort of be hesitant here is Aiden has been pretty good for them in the playoffs and in the West against Jokic. Aiden is one of the best centers in the league at, at guarding Jokic. And you'd be basically trading away your center and like you're looking at, Biombo as you know, your only big body kind of kind of on the team. And there's there's some big centers in the West that you know they might be concerned about matching up. Maybe one reason why they'd be a bit hesitant to do it, but I think you kind of just look at being like, hey, we're getting better, we're gonna have a different identity with Siakam instead of Aiton. We're gonna find a yeah. way to make it work. So Yeah. Yeah, I, I, you know, there's always trade-offs, but I think this definitely makes their team better. Okay, Aaron, I think for Siakam, like, there's other possible destinations, like, potentially Dallas or Memphis, although I think the Memphis fit is a little bit awkward because John yeah. Rant needs and, spacing. And, yeah, they, they need spacing, and Siakam doesn't really provide that, so. Yeah, Portland might get desperate and want to do something. But yeah, this to me seems like the best Siakam destination, which, you know, like thinking about it, maybe Siakam is a guy that doesn't get traded and the Raptors are happy to sit on him if they don't get a huge haul back for him. Because I think the other guys are actually a little bit easier to trade. I don't know about that. I think Freddie's pretty hard to trade because I think his, his value as a playoff contributor is pretty questionable. Uh I mean, you could certainly play off play him off the bench, but are you really, you know, trading real assets for a guy who's going to, you know, play from the bench, maybe get, you know, into certain matchups, play like 15 minutes a game in the playoffs? Uh, that seems pretty questionable. But well, well, I'll give you a reason why Freddie's easier to trade because he's only getting paid twenty million dollars, and no, there's a lot true. more yeah. contracts around twenty million dollars where you can take back an overpaid role player that's been underperforming from another team and maybe get one pick back. And like, you're not asking for the haul that you are for Siakam. And so I think that that's the reason why Freddie's easier to trade. There's teams that can take a gamble on him a couple of, so, so I've made a couple proposals for him. Yeah. Unless uh, one thing to know with Freddie is he has a player option for next season. So if you're if you're getting him, I think you also need to reach an understanding with him and his agent that they will resign him, right? Because 
trading for a rental is just, you're not going to give that much up, right? If you don't think you can, if you don't think you're extending him. And then also he's another player like Siakam. He's getting in the age curve and we've seen this year, some signs of decline. How excited are you about extending him? Right. So I think yeah, it's, it's I, tough that way. That's, that's true. But I think you can look at this as more of a rental. And like, I think Fred's done enough in recent weeks to show that the early season slump, well, like most of the season slump so far is maybe is maybe going away. His shooting numbers have bounced back a little bit. Like the defense, I think, is it's fallen off and it might never come back to being he might never be a great defender again. But he's smart enough that he's not a total zero on that end. And just like the ball handling, playmaking, shooting abilities, those are still really valuable traits to have as a player. And so there's like teams like the Dallas Mavericks are a team that really needs to give Luca some extra help. And I think Freddie could fill that Brunson role that they had from past years in, in a different way. Their games are different, but overall, like similar, just taking off some of the load from Luca, especially when he's resting. And he's a great shooter. So it's like, well, historically, he's been a great shooter. And so that complements Luca's game really well. So, Aaron, here, I've got, I've got a fake trade for you for Freddie, but. Actually, I think I've made a crazier, even crazier trade where I sent Freddie to the Houston Rockets. But I think that the Babs could easily trade for Freddie. They have terrible contracts with Davis Bertans, um, who has been absolute deadweight and is getting paid $16 million a year. They could do that and a first round pick for Freddie. But I think Freddie's leadership capabilities would also really suit the Houston Rockets. This is a team we talked about earlier being a total mess. They need leadership, and Freddie's the guy that could go in there and not help them win right away, but provide some stability in their locker room, some on-court leadership, get the players playing the right way. And, you know, if you're Houston, if you look at, they have a bunch of extra first-round picks from other teams, like the Milwaukee Bucks. They could just send one of those to the Raptors and then, like, get this guy that stabilizes their team. Do you think that makes sense? I do think it makes sense because they're also a team that can look at extending him because next year, next year they, they're, Oh, the Oklahoma city thunder, a top four protected pick. So unless they're going to be truly awful again next year, they have no real incentive to lose again. And like it's hard it's hard to tank for a top four for a top four protected pick right because you can pretty easily end up at like fifth or sixth and then you you know your season was just a total waste right so they're going to try to win next year so extending signing freddie and extending him makes sense for this team they need a veteran they need a steady presence they need a guard to i think teach jalen green how to you know how to run the offense in a more responsible manner you know, they need shooting and spacing. They need someone who tries. They could good role model. I think trading for Fred Van absolutely makes sense for the Rockets. And, and it's sort of a rebuilding team trying to get better, having a veteran to steady the ship a little bit and, and compete next year. Obviously, I don't think they're going to go anywhere, but in turn, but just trying to, you know, set up next year's team to be competitive. So yeah, you need sense. to make positive momentum as a team. Yeah, you need to start, start getting building players some that culture. can play and make sense and space the floor and play defense, do all the things that, that Freddie is good at, right? So uh, yeah, I think it, it makes absolute sense for Rockets to do it. I think there's just a question over like how much, you know, how much do they like Freddie? 
I think a player like Freddie makes a lot of sense. I don't know, you know, obviously we don't know what they think of Fred VanVleet. So how much are they yeah. willing to give up for it? Does that match make sense in terms of how much the Raptors want? But there's certainly something here in terms of, you know, what the Raptors need and what the what the Rockets have. So I, I really like this one. All right. So just because I didn't actually give the full trade here, the full trade I had for the Houston Rockets getting Fred VanVleet was the Raptors. It was a three-team trade with Davis Bertans, who has been stapled to the Mavs bench, going to the Raptors. He's on a three-year, $16 million per year salary, so way overpaid. So we're taking on a bad salary there. We're getting back Milwaukee's first-round pick from the from the Rockets, a second rounder from them via Golden State, and then the Mavs first round pick from 2025. And the Mavs are getting Eric Gordon from the Rockets here. So the Raptors are getting the draft equity here and a bad contract. They're getting two first round picks and a second round pick, but they're taking on a bad salary here for the next few years which if you're a tanking team that's trying to get worse, you can afford to take on some of these bad salaries because you're not trying to be good for the next year or two. Yeah. And so I think that maybe I, is I don't slightly know generous actual, draft compensation, but... Yeah, it's hard to see the Mavericks giving up a first-round pick to get off Bertans and take on Gordon. Um, I think Gordon, Gordon is more would, of like a flyer at this point, but... You know, he's. I think he can probably still play, but I don't know how much teams are willing to give up for him. And the Mavericks sort of they have limited assets, and sort of giving a decent chunk of that limited asset away just to upgrade a little bit seems. I don't know if it'll happen, but I think that the general construct of the trade is a good one and it makes sense. Yeah, it might be a couple second rounders rather than a first or a highly protected first, something yeah. like that. Yeah, or maybe you get, you know, one of the Mavericks' young players, I forget, like Jaden Hardy or something like that instead. He's looked all right, you know, so maybe that happens instead. I don't know. Yeah. All right, Aaron, the other potential Fred VanVleet destination, and I've I've heard rumors that the Clippers are interested in him. They, the Clippers right now are struggling. They are about a 500 team. Kawhi Leonard is sitting pretty much every game it feels like so much load management going on with this team they just every other game it feels like somebody on their team is resting they're really taking an innovative nba strategy of just deciding not to play until the playoffs um we'll see if it works out for them they, they <laughs> right tried now, it last year to some extent too. yeah <laughs> um but so they need some they need some juice reggie jackson hasn't panned out as a starter for them he's gone back to the bench and hasn't been playing great so my trade proposal for the clippers is fred van vliet for reggie jackson and nicholas batum for salary matching purposes and then a first round pick and a second round pick so i think this helps the clippers because they need a ball handler, a proper point guard. John Wall hasn't really been the answer. Right now, they're playing Terrence Mann as a pseudo point guard, and he's much more of a wing player. And I think the shooting consistency will really help this team and just like lighten the load on their star players. So when Kawhi rests, Paul George has a consistent offensive distributor beside him. I don't know. It seems like a reasonable trade for a Clippers team that is committed to winning in the near future. They have <laughs> their window is now. It might already have been closed if 
Kawhi is just never going to be healthy again. But the window is this year, maybe next year. <laughs> they need to they need to go all in, and so maybe this. I makes mean, sense. they they already have right, like they traded for Paul George and they signed Kawhi as a free agent. They've been all in ever yeah. since then. Trading trading a future like a long in the future, completely unprotected pick, seems like a lot for for Fred Van Vliet. Maybe that happens, or maybe you get, you know, Brandon Boston Jr. Or I don't know. They just don't have a lot of young players on this yeah, team. Yeah, they're so. they're assets. I just don't think the Raptors are doing it if they're not getting back a real asset. Yeah, like a, which is, a first which round pick for Fred seems yeah. reasonable. I think it, you, it does you pay that but, price. But then also, if you're the Clippers, you're also saying, well, this is our this is the one last move we have to make. If they don't do anything and just go into the off season. Then they'll have two first round picks to trade after after the draft. So maybe maybe they wait until then to try to make a bigger move than Fred Van Bleet. I don't you think like, you, they can wait till the offseason. I just don't know if Fred Van Bleet moves the needle for you. Maybe you're really concerned about this team and just making the playoffs in the regular season. But like Reggie Jackson has been, has been really good in the playoffs before. Uh, I think you just have so many guys and right now it's not really gelling, but I think you're almost better off just betting on one of your players playing better and earning that spot because this team is going to look pretty different in the playoffs, assuming because they have to assume that Kawhi and Paula George are going to be ready for the playoffs. That's the only way that they're a contender, right? So then how do the players fit around them? And it's like, does Fred Van Vliet really, really upgrade the, the guard position over Reggie Jackson and like, do you even need to play a guard if you're playing both of those guys, right? Are you just going to want to play wings around them and, and play five out and kill teams that way and switch everything? And, you know, it's like, yeah, Freddie is certainly a better player than Reggie Jackson, but is it worth it? I don't know. Cause also like you, they would also be signing him with the attention, with the intention of, of extending him. Right. I don't think, that, I don't think that they would pay that price for a rental for Fred Van Vliet. So do they want to extend him? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sure. It, it, you know, these are tough questions. I think Fred does make them better. I think he's an upgrade over Reggie Jackson. And, you know, those marginal moves can really matter. And like a, a distant, a 2027 first round pick, I think for a GM right now, you look at if you're not successful in the next year or two, yeah, what does you're it just... Yeah. yeah, what does it matter? They're going to be out of their job anyways. And so I think those distant picks are a little bit easier to give up. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see. It's a it's a possibility for sure. It's not, you know, this this wasn't a slam dunk trade. All right, Aaron, we've got two more Raptors to talk about here for trades. OG, I think, is the juiciest one. This is a yeah, guy he that fits everywhere. It's salivating. not hard to find teams that would want OG. Yeah, so I think he, if if the Raptors are willing to trade him, it's almost a lock that there would be a, a good enough deal for him. So there's a bunch of possible destinations for him. I think one of those is Memphis. Memphis is a team that would love to have OG defending on the wings against all the Western Conference talent. And then also his shooting fits really nicely with Ja Morant. So he's like a perfect four-spacing four 3 and D guy. So the Raptors could trade. Yeah, you can imagine Jaron Jackson Jr., OG, Dylan Brooks. Like that is a horrifying front line to play against. And they can play yeah. even bigger with Steven Adams at center and, you know, moving OG or Dylan Brooks down to the two, right? So it's a lot of versatility there. Yeah, they, they can 
play defense against pretty much any matchup in the league with OG on that team. And, you know, they could trade for him pretty easily. Danny Green is on their team, hasn't been playing. He's a, just a dead salary there. And then he's recovering the from ACL, right? So, yeah, but yeah. You, you have to imagine even when he's healthy, it's like Danny Green's washed at this point. Yeah, you, so, can't, you can't count on him being ready and contributing for the playoffs, right? Yeah, so he's just a salary to trade. So Danny Green and Zaire Williams, a promising young player that's has been getting some minutes for Memphis, but you know he's not quite ready for the moment. He's not ready for prime time. I don't think you would want to rely on him in the playoffs to make any meaningful contributions. And you do Zaire Williams and probably two first round picks, maybe one one to two first round picks, because Zaire Williams is a solid prospect. I think. Yeah, you got they draft they traded up to draft him at number ten uh, last year, so you know. So if there's they, they a bidding war, in him, yeah. if there's a bidding war, I could see the Raptors being able to squeak out two first round picks here. But, you know, a fair price is probably Zaire Williams and a pick are the two real assets that you're getting back for OG. But, you know, that's a trade that could happen at any time. Yeah, absolutely. The one that I like the most is OG to the New Orleans Pelicans. They are a team that, you know, with Zion... If they can just surround, if they can play small ball with Zion around and get wing defenders and people that can play up a bit and space the floor, like, oh, this this team in the playoffs, you can imagine Zion, OG, you know, even like Larry Nance, uh, you know, CJ McCollum and Brandon Ingram, like they just have so many guys that they could fit around Zion that could space the floor and play defense. And, you know, Trey Murphy, Herb Jones, right? Like their, their playoff rotation would be kind of insane in terms yeah. of how many different looks they could throw at you while still playing and spacing for Zion. So I, I love the fit in New Orleans. You know, they wouldn't have to play JV necessarily. I, it makes so much sense. And they have Dyson Daniels, who I think is a very promising young player. And then they also have the Bucks draft plus their own draft, you know, so they they certainly also have the assets to throw in there. And I think the question is, a do they want to trade Dyson Daniels? They could certainly, you know, Devonte Graham I think is the salary filler here. But then you know if they don't want to trade Dyson Daniels, they could just trade a bunch of first round picks for and as well. They could they could the Raptors in New Orleans could do this trade in so many different ways because they New Orleans has more than enough assets to get it done. Yeah. Yeah, and I think those are the two teams that, to me, make the most sense in terms of really having lots of assets and also being on the cusp of contention. Like, I mean, I think they view themselves as being fully in contention, but they like having that extra that piece, yeah. yeah, having that extra piece would really cement their status as as top tier contenders. And the West is pretty wide open, and so it, it's ripe for one of these teams to make a move. But there's like there's lots of other teams as well. Like the Warriors could finally decide to dump some of their crappy their assets that are just declining. Like these young guys that they're people are realizing, oh, maybe they aren't that good. Maybe James Wiseman is just trash. Uh, and, and you know, like the the Warriors need help. Then there's like the Kangs might want to make a deal. Portland has Dame. Like they're not really a contender right now, but they've been a team that almost traded for OG in the summer and probably would still be interested in him. There's there's lots of options here for an OG trade. Yeah, he fits so. on every single team. So I think everyone's going to be calling about him. Uh, and 
I wouldn't be surprised if he actually got more <laughs> more value than Pascal Siakam just because of the contract, the age, and the fit. Um, and a potential bidding war that happens for him. Yeah, exactly. Like there's just more people that are interested. The yeah. last guy, Gary Trent Jr., that we're gonna talk about, really just getting rid of him, I think makes sense. Uh get back whatever you can. I think you get you need at least a first back. I Gary's just, been solid. He's inconsistent. His defense is bad. Uh, he just he can't really do anything other than shoot. There's just uh, that, that player mold. Yeah, but you know you you have him going to Dallas for Bertans and and some draft equity, right? It's like they already have him and Tim Hardaway Jr. Right? He's a, he's, a he's a better version of Tim Hardaway. I think Jr. he's a worse version of Tim Hardaway Jr. But statistically. The stats would disagree with you on that. <laughs> yeah, part of it's not it, been great. Yeah, I, I think he's probably more talented, but yeah. Anyway, there's there's just I don't know. You're not. I don't think you're getting a ton for Gary Trent Jr. You're trading him because you don't want to extend him and pay him, and that's also yeah. he's he has a player option. So anyone that's trading for him has to is most likely going to be trading for him with the intention of extending him. So finding a team that wants to extend Gary Trent Jr., it might be tougher than we think. Yeah, but when you're going to a contender that doesn't have cap space, it's like paying a guy 20, 25 million, it, you know, they don't have the cap space to do anything anyways. And so this right, is kind of how they The Mavericks don't players. pay the tax, right? So yeah, they have a, they have a cheapskate owner. <laughs> I think Gary Trent is a useful player. And so... I think there will be some interest in him, not not nearly as much as OG and potentially some of the other guys, but we'll see. All right, Ben, we have one email to finish up our podcast here, and it's from a resident Coloco unapologist. He says, uh, hello, pod boys. I want to play devil's advocate with all the tank talk. It's hard to calculate how much damage legitimately tanking can cause a team's development. Long term, it's probably better for players like Scotty, Precious, and Coloco to be in competitive environments surrounded by the best talent the team can. Just thought of handing this team over to them is horrifying right now. Obviously, winning the Wemby Lotto probably helps the team's future more than any winning culture, quote unquote. But it would be reckless for them to go all in for that. This front office has done a pretty solid job with their scouting and drafting. The upcoming draft looks to be stacked. I don't think it's crazy to have a little faith in them. I think collectively everyone is surprised with the Scotty pick and there's no reason to think that they can't do it again. I think Raptors fans uh, calling for the tank are just confused 76ers fans. <laughs> Process isn't worth it. It never has been. If you truly believe the, gla- the grass is green on the other side, you should go there. Long <laughs> uh, us out here, Ben, because we have I've been about the ta- on the tank one week longer than you have, but it's, it's, been, it's been a solid month now that i've been on the tank wagon yeah we're both aligned here it's just i i don't think you want to build like a culture of losing i think the houston rockets are in danger of that right now where you have young promising talent but if you don't have any veteran leadership like these guys can really build really negative habits and become losing players they're learning to play the wrong way they're not playing winning basketball and that that is a real concern uh, you have I to think trust your organization and your yeah, coaching staff right they're, we've seen oklahoma city they're like 500 now you know we've seen you know the, the grizzlies tanked that one year to get john morant right and you know it's just I, I think you tank for a season or two 
and you don't plan to tank any longer than that and you trust your organization to be able to execute it obviously that can go south but the the option to not tanking here is re-signing pascal and fred van vliet and gary trent jr for the long term and locking this team in for the next three years and then also when once they sign those contracts they become much harder to trade so that that is the option yeah, and, and that's exactly where I was going to go with it, Aaron. Like, you have to trust your organizational culture and development. Like, I think OKC is a perfect example. They they stripped their team for parts, and everyone's like, oh, this this team is going to be horrible. They were bad for two seasons, and now all of a sudden, Shy is looking like a superstar, and they have, like, Chet Holmgren, who hasn't even played this year, is going to be on the team next year. Lots of draft picks, lots of promising young players their rebuild is basically done. <laughs> like there, there's the, and they still have a lot of flexibility in adding, adding more pieces, yeah. but they have the promise. Now I think the Raptors have a decent foundation here of young players and Scotty Barnes and precious Atua and maybe Coloco. We'll see like maybe Delano band, maybe some of these other young guys end up being contributors in a few years, but it's like, there's two core guys there that I think are promising and you just tank for a season you see where that gets you with a couple more prospects. Maybe it makes sense to do one more year on top of that of being bad. But yeah, then like after you, that, if you tank for Wemby, like maybe you get Wemby or Scoot, and you're just good next year, and you stop tanking, right? It's yeah. yeah. And like two years from now, you're gonna have a Scotty Barnes that's two more years long in development. Like you're you're hoping that he's pretty much close to an All Star caliber player at that point. Precious, the two probably will be an All Star by that point. <laughs> I mean, we we can dream, we can hope. It's like these guys; these guys have legitimate potential, and if you give them the keys to the team, they're going to grow faster as well. And I, I think neither of these guys is has the risk of being like a a loser mentality and not working hard. Like these, by all accounts, these are hardworking players that really want to succeed. And so, I just don't think that's a huge concern here for the Raptors. And also, I think you need talent. We just, to, we just have to look at the present. This team sucks as it is. They're yeah. not winning right now. The offense is terrible. The spacing doesn't work. And that's with all their good veterans, right? It's like, yes, you're probably going to get worse if you trade those guys, right? But it's not like it was working with them. It's not like this is an ideal de- development for Scotty. It's like the Pascal Siakam and Scotty, like the fit there isn't great. Neither of them can really space the floor. They both want the ball in their hands, right? It you know It's not ideal. And that's the way it is right now. So... It, yes, the next iteration of this team when they suck won't be ideal either. But it's not like it's not like you're taking development this ideal development situation away from them because it's already not great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, it's just it, it's so clear what this team needs to do, and now we just have to wait and see if Masai and Bobby Webster can execute and properly pull off a tank and get some assets here. And you know, like. Masai has such a history of being a good president manager of a team that like we have to have faith in this front office they haven't really given us any indication that they don't know what they're doing there's been a few misses on smaller roster moves but they took a gamble with the construction of this team and last year it looked like it was working this year it's fallen apart a little bit but like this is a good front office and we have to trust that they're going to make the right move here I don't feel stressed going to the deadline. I think they're going to do the right thing and blow this I, up. I feel very stressed coming into the deadline. <laughs> I don't know that they're going to do the right thing. Trust uh, in the Messiah. Th- these guys are just so competitive that I don't know if they can 
stomach sort of just trading them for for spare parts and and willing themselves to be bad for at least one season at least yeah we'll see maybe maybe they don't trade siakam they just shut him down for the year after the trade deadline and we still end up getting a great pick and next year it's like it's wemby scotty (laughs) precious and siakam maybe we can dream who knows We'll have to see what plays out here, but I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to watching the Raptors completely fumble away more wins as the season goes on. It's It's been a fun ride so far. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I will continue to root for the Raptors to lose close games. <laughs> now that I'm, now that I'm rooting for Raptors losses, the yeah. season is so much easier because <laughs> yeah. they keep losing. <laughs> yeah. So they're fulfilling my wishes. Go Raptors, go. Yeah. All right. Absolutely. All right. We'll be back next week with hopefully another update and, and discussion around what the Raptors can do to to make the team worse and capitalize on their assets. It should be a fun one. Uh, I hope everyone has a great week and uh, you know lots lots of fun games to watch. Yep. And send us an email at Raptors Review Mail at gmail.com. That's Raptors Review Mail at gmail.com. We always appreciate them. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now. Bye.